This is the One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. I'm your host, Kaylin Less. When we think about the relationships we have, whether that be in our professional world or our personal lives, there is one word that can determine the quality and richness of those relationships. That word is trust. When you have it, so many things become possible. But without it, progress feels like pulling teeth, results are expensive, and our ability to succeed is limited. Today's guest is someone who has studied trust and dedicated their life's work to helping people, organizations, and teams build it at higher levels. In today's episode, we're going to talk about why trust is the lead domino to success in every area of your life. And what really stood out to me was how trust is like this invisible superglue that holds things together and is so easy to take for granted until it is compromised. It can take years to build, but can be demolished in an instant. And once we appreciate the impact trust can have on our results, just that that awareness, it, it can be a game changer. But our guest today will go one step further and walk us through the steps we can take to build a stronger foundation of trust with the people who matter most. Our hope is that you walk away with one thing you can do that would make building trust and an important relationship easier for you. With that, let's get into this episode with best-selling author of The Trust Edge and CEO of The Trust Edge Leadership Institute, David Horsager. Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is Factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen. They're chef-created, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like breakfast on the go, lunch, snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash ONE50 and use code ONE50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. David, there is a quote from your book that really stuck out to me, and I would love for you to explain it. So it says, trust multiplies influence and impact. And then you turn the page, and on the back it says, a lack of trust is your biggest expense. What does that mean? Well, let's start with the expense, because that that leads to the multiplier. So if you think of trust when I often say just that part, a lack of trust is your biggest cost because what we found, in, in, even in my original research, is every time trust went up, costs, problems, skepticism went down. Let's just talk about this simply for your, you know, for your listeners. So think about this: text someone you trust. How long does that take? You're done, right? Now, try to text someone you don't trust. How long does that take? How, how are they going to take this? How are they going to take that? Take forever more. So all of a sudden, you have this cost of time 
or you, you, you think of cost of, you know, I talk about sometimes where I grew up, I don't know if you've ever seen one of these, uh, it, it, Mr. Olson out in the middle of nowhere, Minnesota had this veggie stand where he had this beautiful veggie, long, end of his long quarter mile driveway, you know, he's beautiful vegetables, but even though it's a quarter mile from his house, he had a bucket of cash and yet nobody stood at the stand. So what you're supposed to do is you, you go make your change and pay what you owe and you take your veggies, right? So the whole stand is built on trust. Some people call it the honor system or trust system, right? Wow. Well, what's, what's the efficiency? Well, in this case, he saves money because he doesn't have to pay anybody to be there. Saves time in essence because people can just take and go. They can grab what they want and just go. And interestingly, he had incredibly loyal customers, not just because they loved his veggies, but they, they loved this experience. So, you know, in this case, trust just gave him time and money. And, it, you know, so when I say expense, I mean, it's, it's everything, but it always is a cost. There's always an expense to a lack of trust. So you could say, well, a lack of trust there cost me uh, innovation because that team doesn't trust each other. So creativity went down and wow. innovation went down. They won't share ideas. So a lack of trust in that classroom. Oh, well, now the, the, there's no psychological safety. So students don't learn or, you know, whatever. There, there, if there's no trust in the, in the marketing message, then all of a sudden, you know, you, you don't sell. So yeah, you, what I'm hearing you say is like the lack of trust or the the strength of trust. There's a lever in a relationship between trust and almost everything from productivity to profitability to even the depth of the relationships that we can grow. So I guess when I, when I hear you talk about that, it seems kind of like the lead domino for everything else is that when trust is strong and intact, so much more becomes possible. Can you share a little bit about that? That's what I, that's exactly what I would argue. And I would even state it as maybe the leading indicator. So, you know, in business, we're always looking at what are the leading indicators? What are the lagging indicators? And I would argue trust is always the leading indicator. People think they have a different, this is the big problem. And this was the big finding in the original research. That first half of it, at least was, you know, we think we have a leadership problem. We don't. The only reason I follow a leader or not is trust. You think I have a sales problem? No. The only reason I buy or not, unless it's a commodity, is something to do with trust. I said it before, the only way to amplify a marketing message is increase trust. The only way to, to increase innovation is increase trust in the team. So this is the leading lead domino is a perfect way of saying it because it's the leading indicator to efficiency, effectiveness. And that was a big finding, by the way, at the time, when I started that first half of the research, I was just looking at What's unique about the most successful leaders and organizations of all time? And I define success uh, as impact and a financial component. So success wasn't just financial, but it was success and this positive impact. And it kept coming back to trust. So, you know, that, that, that success in uh, attrition or retention, it's a trust issue. Engagement, it's a trust issue. I often say this, uh, it's never a communication issue, you know, at the core, it's the type of communication because communication is happening all the time. And that's where we get to the eight pillars of trust and how we actually create the kind of communication, high trust communication they're talking about. Well, and I love even your example of the text, because if I receive an email from someone that I do not trust, I read it very differently than someone that I do. So on both ends, yeah, (laughs) or you just question, you're like, is that what they really meant? Or 
and they're the rationalization and it's just such a like wrestling with what is the reality when that truth is not there it's really hard to see through people's intentions because there's a barrier to where i am and where they are so how do i bridge that gap like if i know there's someone in my in my world that i don't have a lot of trust what's one thing i can do well first of all overall my work it really is about what can i do to be trusted or build trust. So people will say to me, I want to trust that person more. Like that guy did that terrible thing to me and I want to trust them. No, you trust them for what they do. So as an example, if this person is late all the time, I shouldn't trust them to be on time. I trust them to be late. That's healthy. That's wise. That's good. So I like what you said about bringing it back to me. So what can I do? And that's where we get to the eight pillars of trust. It's It, it could be any or a mix of them, but I have to do what I can do to build trust. So maybe this is a little bit tied to, it, to the example, at least, where some people say, because we're all imperfect, how do I rebuild trust? How do I rebuild it once I've lost it, right? So I can give one quick idea there, and that comes under the commitment pillar. Here's what we know. The apology never rebuilds trust. I'll I'll give an example. People think that, you know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Well, I I apologized, right? I said I was sorry. Uh, A friend of mine, CEO from the Netherlands, came to America. He'd been here a few weeks. I said, what's the first thing you notice in America? And he said, you want to know the truth, David? I said, yeah. He said, first thing I noticed is you got a bunch of lying apologizers. <laughs> he said, they all say they're sorry and they don't mean it. And he, he, I said, what do you mean? He said, yeah, my team, they say, I'm sorry I'm late, but they're late every time. And so this, this I, it's one little takeaway here, but it is important. It's that the, even our research showed that this year, the number one uh component of retention is keeping promises. And that's the same with rebuilding trust. The only way to rebuild trust is to make and keep a new commitment. Wait, wait, say that again, because I think, um, especially with when trust is lost, there's this sense of urgency to rebuild it as quickly as possible. There's something broken. I want to fix it. So that's generally where, for me at least, the apology comes in. I'm just quick to respond like, oh, let me just patch this up with a quick apology. I'll make it sincere and move on. So tell, like, unpack that a little bit. Yeah, okay. So first of all, let me say this. The apology opens the door. I am not saying don't apologize. We show <laughs> humility. We apologize. That cracks the door. It invites the... That That actually starts to heal the relationship piece. Got it. But people don't trust again unless you make and keep a new commitment. So if you... You know, because there are people that say, I'm sorry... And that, that okay, you get it. I understand your relationship. But that doesn't mean I trust them again to do this thing or to accomplish this or to finish that or to whatever it is, unless they are willing to make and keep a new commitment. Trust is rebuilt by making and keeping a new commitment. And, and you know, in the book, I did a chapter on this for, for companies that have lost trust. We have a 10-step process. And, and uh, you know, there's a lot you can do as a company. You watch some case studies of uh, of companies that have actually rebuilt trust. But even the big companies, like an individual, it finally comes down to making and keeping a new commitment if you want to rebuild trust. Start with the apology, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, good to know I'm starting in the right place. Yeah. And I think what you said is really powerful because those words, they open the door. They're the crack. And that by giving that apology and then making that commitment it really does reinforce that my word is worth it. 
And that what I say I'm going to do, I'm going to follow through on because I am trustworthy and because I care about that relationship. Exactly. And, you know, I mean, we do all make, make mistakes. And so, I mean, I really want people to hear this, that the apology that rebuilds the relationship or, or reconnects the relationship. You feel bad. Yeah, you did something wrong. We all do that. But, you know, there is a differentiator there with rebuilding trust in that you can only rebuild trust on um, outcomes or on actions or on work if you make and keep a new commitment. Yeah, it makes me think a lot about, I think that there's this, maybe it's a myth, tell me if I'm wrong, but the idea that trust is built over time, we make these deposits and it's built over time and it takes a really long time. But the catch-all with that is that while I've seen that to be true, I've also seen people's reputations that they took years to build evaporate in a moment. So Undeniably. Is, yeah. yeah no, tell so, me like that relationship. Like how do yes. I... How do I make the right investments while also protecting the thing that I'm building? So in in the book, we talk about this. uh, We call it transfer trust is one part of this. But so so let me, you know, one of the analogies in the book is, you know, a sequoia tree. It takes, you know, and they're they're a thousand feet high and, you know, a thousand years old or whatever. I've got the exact data in the book. But then, you know, we saw it last spring where this forest you know, burned down in a moment, right? Or in a short time because of carelessness of one match or lightning or whatever. So that is a truth about trust. But what we found in the newer research is a whole lot of your trust is built and lost in a moment. People see the lost in a moment. Like they did all this and then they did that bad thing and they lost all their trust. But the truth is, uh, especially in crisis. So you think of 9-11, Complete strangers trust each other in a moment if they're running the same direction. When, you know, in a crisis, you have an incredible opportunity to build trust fast based on what you do, how you act, and how you react. So uh, what I would say today is there's truth. It can take a long time to build deep trust, but you can actually build trust faster than you think often. One way would be this idea we call transfer trust, which means, you know, I trust you, you trust this person over here, I don't know this person over here, person C, but because I trust you and you trust person C, I more quickly trust person C. That's transfer trust. And that's one way of building trust fast where you had none. Yeah, that that seems super practical in the sense that like, there are so many people in the world that I would love to get their trust. (laughs) And a direct line isn't always so, so quick. And so by really the people that we associate with and our community really is, a, it's a trust building like superpower in many ways is what I'm hearing you say. And trust is about relationships and community. You know, we're as much as technology is going and can, you know, technology can amplify t- trust. Uh, technology can also destroy trust, but we still are in a world of relationships. And that's worth just remembering. Trust is built on relationships, relationships you know, are still what business and life is about. Yeah. So tell me a little bit, because it's not just trust in our professional setting is what I guess I think a lot about. And my day-to-day is trust in my personal relationships, trust with people that matter, with my neighbors, like with my farmer that's selling me his vegetables. Tell me a little bit about how your research around trust has trickled into all of the relationships in your life. You know one of the most fun things, I had a guy come up to me. He had heard me. They had me in this at Hawaii speak at this big annual sales event. He earned the trip again the second year and, 
interestingly enough, they had me back as the keynote speaker. And he came up, a big, tough, burly guy, came up to me with tears in his eyes that year later. And he said, you know, I would, I thought this was about, uh, you know, going to be this sales training. And actually, it helped me. This idea that you gave about trust helped me triple my sales. But I've been waiting to tell you what it really did. It saved my marriage. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, I don't mind either. You know, I love to help triple sales, but I love this someone saving their marriage because what we know is people that are better at home are better at work. So I don't mind or care about what it does. And in fact, I believe organizations don't change. Only individuals change. And when an individual changes, then a team, a company, a country can change, right? So that's our chance. I know that you did a lot of research on all all things trust and you came up with a framework. So can you talk a little bit about that? Okay, I have an answer for that, but... Let's go to the eight pillars of trust. This is my research, and I believe you can solve every organizational and leadership challenge against these eight pillars. No no ego, I hope, just the research and a whole lot of experience to, to show it. So let's, just for context, go through the eight pillars, and then I'll come back to an answer to that question. Perfect. I love it. Yeah. Okay. So these are the eight pillars. This is how trust is built. It's been revalidated by outside universities. PhDs have been built on this. This is how trust is built even globally, even though you might have to contextualize it. But for context, here they are. Number one, clarity. We trust the clear and we mistrust or distrust the ambiguous or the overly complex, right? So number two, compassion. We trust those that care beyond themselves. This is why mom is the most trusted person in the world to the most people because she cares beyond herself. She's willing to sacrifice. We see this in the data year over year, that mom is the most trusted person in the world. Number three is character. We trust those that do what's right over what's easy. And we have a process for driving this into a company. People think, oh, you can't change your character after 12 years old. That's not true. You can. And in fact, you can change the culture of a company. Many companies, through incentive programs, incentivize the very character they do not want to have. And you need to incent the right type of character. The next pillar is competency. We trust those that stay fresh and relevant, competent, and capable. You know, for this reason, I trust you, Caitlin, to take my kids to the ball game because of your character and compassion. That doesn't mean I'll trust you to give me a root canal. Because call. Of- Excellent call. <laughs> exactly. So competency, you've got to, you, you got to have that. Number five is commitment. We trust those that stay committed, even in the face of adversity. And, you know, if you think of anybody in history that's left a legacy or you're mom or dad or Martin Luther King or Mandela or Gandhi or Jesus or Joan of Arc. I mean, someone who's left a legacy, often they've been committed to something beyond themselves, maybe to death, and they were trusted for it. The sixth pillar is connection. This this really is a mindset, a willingness to connect and collaborate. If I look at a company, I can see counterforces to trust. And if I see the counterforce of like siloing or independence, Instead of interdependence, I know we have a problem with that connection pillar. The seventh pillar is contribution. That The real first word that came out of this research funnel was results. So you've got to contribute results as a leader. You've got to contribute results as a human. This is what we expect. This is what we need. So you can't just have compassion. You can't just have care. You've got to contribute results to be trusted. So like a, a, a surgeon going for surgery and you know got to amputate one leg and they cut off the wrong leg. 
they might have been compassionate or have high character, but I don't trust them because they didn't contribute the results I wanted or expected or asked for. Final pillar is consistency. This, we call it the king or queen of the pillars. Consistency in everything matters. The only way to build a reputation is sameness. This is why, you know, if I'm late all the time, you'll trust me to be late, right? The, the, the only way to build a brand is consistency. So sameness is trusted. Consistency. If I only have character when the lights are on, that's not really character. If I'm only compassionate with people that look like me, that's not really compassion. So this, you know, this is, this is central, but these are the eight pillars. They all work together. You can use each to drive others. You might say, we got a clarity issue. It might be a consistency issue. You're, you only shared that vision at the annual meeting and not every 21 days. So nobody has clarity about it because you lost consistency. Yeah. It's interesting when you say those, I sort of I can visualize relationships. Each one you mentioned, they're different and the relationship is different and the trust and the reasons why, like it very much sort of rose to the surface, the sort of nugget that really is the reason. So even though it can be fuzzy sometimes, but when you say clarity, I'm like, oh, I know that one. I know when I've experienced that. And to have this thing we call the trust edge, you need to have all eight. The trust edge is this advantage gained when others confidently believe in you. So if trust is being confidently believed in, this amazing, I think the most important advantage in business and life is this advantage of being confidently believed in. And that's, you know, massive. When you're confidently believed in, then attrition goes down, retention goes up, cost goes down, innovation goes up. So it affects that kind of trust, affects everything. But you can see from the pillars, in different roles, you might value some over others. My babysitter, I really want to have character. I really want to make sure they have compassion. If you really want to have the trust edge, you try to build all eight. Yeah. So when I think about that in the context of self-leadership and how do I work on myself to truly trust myself, start to unpack that for me. So as an example, I might take uh, the clarity pillar and say, okay, I couldn't do this. I, I, I don't trust myself with my eating habits, or I don't trust myself when I'm alone, or I don't trust whatever it is, right? Whatever that is, then I'm going to do a clarity process. And we call it how, how, how. So this, I believe the most important question that takes an idea to an action is not the why. The why is important and has a place. It's not the who that has a place also. Get the right who's on the bus. But the most overlooked underused question that actually drives strategic clarity, the question that takes an idea to an action, the, the, the question that gives hope that I can actually get this done is how the problem with it is you must ask it over and over and over until you get down to something you can apply tomorrow morning. So, oh, and when you say that, it just fires me up because it's absolutely what we found with our community too, because you can answer that how question once, but the how is often way too big to actually make an impact in your life or for you to actually be able to achieve it. But that how, 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 the parallel is our, our, it's our focusing question. We say, what's the one thing I can do such that by doing it will make everything else easier or unnecessary? The lead domino, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, I mean, this is, it's, it's so beautiful meshes with what, with what we've been thinking about for a long time. But so an example would be a, a CEO comes to me and says, we want a better culture. So I said, okay, how are you going to have a better culture? So I'm going down on just that, right? Um, we're going to be nice. Okay, I don't trust them yet. Okay, how are you going to start to be nice? We're going to appreciate people more. That's a good idea, but I don't trust you for a second. How are you going to appreciate? Until someone tells me they're going to 
write a note every day for 90 days. I don't trust them. Or I'm going to write a note tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock, right? So, and it's the same for me. Maybe this is interesting, you know, for the folks out there is that how did I lose the weight? I'll give one example. I asked this question to many healthy people that get on planes a couple hundred times a year like me. I said, how do you stay fit on the road? Basically, around the world, they said the same thing. Four words, and you've heard them. Eat less, exercise more. Right? Yeah, it's like, uh, that was not clear enough for me. Yeah. I would ask different people, but how did you do that? Okay, how did you do that? How did you, how, 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 how? And I asked how to enough people that I picked a few ideas that I could do. Remember, it's got to get to something you will do. If someone told me I can never have ice cream again, it's just not going to happen. But I had to get to how I would do it. So one example would be this. Uh, one doctor after an event came up to me and said, here's an idea for you. I don't know if you'll do it or not, but most men in America would lose 30 to 50 pounds if they wouldn't drink a calorie. So I started thinking, you know, I don't, I'm not big... Uh, I, I don't have any legalism about it, but I'm not big on alcohol. I think I not do that. I don't do these things. So, but I sort of think, but for me, on the plane, I would say a Coke. Then another Coke. He said, that's, that's terrible. He said, that's two, that's two meals of bad calories. So I made my final how on the plane was I'm going to order a Fresca. So no calories in a Fresca. Now we can argue that that isn't perfectly good for you either. And I've gotten even better with that. But basically, if you sit next to me on the plane these days, Whatever I have, water, coffee, it's never, it doesn't have a calorie in it. And it's a final how because it's clear that doesn't have a calorie. So for six months, I did not drink a calorie. Now I drink very few calories, but that is a final how because I can act on it. Well, and here's the thing, because not only did you have to change your behavior and you had to make a commitment and keep the commitment that you could keep, not the one you wanted to keep, not the ambitious, lofty, giant how. But what was the one thing you could do? And then after repeating that for six months, you became the type of person that drank water on airplanes instead of a Coca-Cola. And you know what? I trusted myself more because I did the, I love what you just said, but I picked the one thing that I could do. And because I could, speaking of commitment, this, this is, this just came back to me. I don't ever talk about this, but I am. One thing I did at the beginning of this, and interestingly enough, this is back when we were, our offices were in the big Keller Williams building. Um, <laughs> but I had friends in this building and the office manager actually was from Keller Williams and some others. And I said, if I'm not my high school weight by May 1st, I'll give you each $2,500. Now, my wife was like, what are you thinking? And this is back you know, over a decade back when that would have been a lot, and that's a lot of money, no matter what, that would have been a lot of money to me then. Like I didn't, she's like, what are you thinking? But I knew if I made that commitment, because I will do it. Some people were like, oh, I didn't really say that word. No, I made it publicly. I shook hands. I'm, I'm going to do it. And I knew I had to find a way. And by May 1st, I was three pounds less than that goal, (laughs) goal amount I needed, but that 52 pounds, um, which I only really would have had to lose 50 maybe. But anyway, so that yeah. that commitment, what happened with that is I knew my danger of not hitting the goal wasn't the, the 50 pounds, actually. The big danger was if I wouldn't have hit that goal, I wouldn't have trusted myself because I made a commitment and didn't keep it. And you know, that that's the big challenge. When we make commitments that we don't keep to ourselves, we lose trust. 
And that affects everybody around us because we start to think no one else can, can, can be trusted because I don't trust myself. And that can poison relationships. Yeah. Well, let's talk about relationships. Because what, what I love about that story is not only were you building trust with yourself, but by making that commitment public, you also built trust with this community you were surrounding yourself with. And maybe they were bummed they didn't get the 2,500 bucks. But they, they start bringing donuts every day. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and on the flip side, they, you finished this challenge and you were somebody that stands by your word. And it was a that commitment and that follow through is something that people notice. And so I'd love just to dig in a little bit to the different kinds of relationships. So let's just get real tactical here. So if I am not trusted in an organization, what's one thing I can do to build trust with the people around me? It sounds like for you, you just made a commitment. Tell me, is that, is that the one thing? Oh man, one thing. I, maybe I'm going to jump on a different. That's that's a thing. This is the problem. There, there. You know, what's the one thing for you, right? Yeah, making, yeah, that's true. Making a, making a commit, making and keep, keeping a commitment absolutely is critical. Here's something from the new research. Um, basically, we trust our leaders 92 percent more if they're transparent about their mistakes. Okay, so I, you know, sit these days get to sit next to the presence of countries and presence of companies, and I see imposter syndrome. I see them scared to death they're going to be found out. I've sat next to people that when they don't have that big shot job, they're not going to have anything because no one's going to talk to them. Uh, they are alone at the top, and we we say this often: leadership. You know, if you're doing leadership alone, you're doing it wrong. But one thing that happened to me, I started to think about is um, this whole transparency about mistakes, and I learned that. If we're transparent about how cool we are, that doesn't connect anybody. I'm all state. I was the homecoming king. I'm the president of this. I'm, you know, that's, but uh, I have this struggle. Oh, you do too. I, how can we solve that? Or how, I can connect on that, right? Um, and, and this hit home in a big way for me because I went for a walk with my daughter. We often go on walks. She's my oldest daughter. And at the time, I don't know if she's 13 or 15 or something like that. And she said this to me. She said, Dad, I was, I don't know what I was asking her about, you know, grades, boys, I don't know what, but she said, dad, you wouldn't understand because you're perfect. And that sounds sweet at first, but you know, and I know I got a big problem if they think I'm perfect at that age, because at three years old, it's fine to be their hero at 15, 13. That is a huge problem. And I knew that was hurting our relationship. And I started to, you know, she, she didn't see back when I bought a company and lost everything right before she was born. She didn't see, she saw me fly on these jets now and get t- t- taken around in a sedan. And, you know, I bring the kids with often, but she didn't see some of those many mistakes. And of course, I'm still making them. She doesn't know all the thing my, things my wife knows or my friends know or every, you know, whatever. And so yeah. I, I, she, I don't know how she didn't, you know, see some things. So, um, by the way, as she's grown in her teenage years, she's seen many more <laughs> things, <laughs> but, but I did something intentionally every week when we go on our walk, I started to share the places I blew it or I'm still blowing it mm-hmm. uh, with a, with an employee today. I wish I would have treated them differently. Or I would have done that, led that meeting differently with, uh, um, you know, when I told her the time when I lost all the money, when we, you know, I bought that company and we lost everything before she was born. I told her, you know, just, different things. I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have said that. I wish I would have apologized quicker. I, whatever it was, you know, many, many things. What happened to our relationship? 
just change forever. That's all. Yeah, just that's and all. Transparency of mistakes. So mm-hmm. I was going to say one thing for leaders today. Being transparent about your mistakes, that will start to build trust. There's so much ego and so much imposter syndrome. I see it. And I see when a leader, and I've had the fortunate opportunity to stand next to or walk with some leaders that have been hard as nails and they've opened up about their mistakes and they were shocked at the the employees coming around them and giving them the benefit of the doubt and cheering for them in change and in love and in kindness and in 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 and not the I think the things that that leader expected by sharing that they're flawed. The truth is everybody knows you're flawed. That hits me so hard because I think it's so counterintuitive in the moments we want to be trusted. We want people to trust us because we're flawless and because we won't mess up or that our competence is so high that there's that I think you're right. It's also very much ego. And there's that tension between if they know that I've failed, will they trust me anymore? And what I'm hearing you say is that that's actually the key to unlocking more trust is letting them know where we failed and where we've struggled and being real. Absolutely. More than ever before. In fact, you know, I saw this study, the number one question senior hires were asking last year was, is it real? You know, now you have this social media. Is that is that a real picture? Is that is that picture of the person? Is it is it airbrushed or is it real? Is is this uh, is this communication uh, in their name? That celebrity's name? Is it really from them or is it somebody doing it on behalf of them? Is this is this persona? Is that is that re- you know they're asking? Is it real? And you know we do have some sense of just uh, in, intuition and all this of that person's not being real. And we, if we sniff a glimpse of that, we don't trust it. And that's why for leaders, we know if, if, if we can show a little bit more in a healthy way of who we really are and our flaws with that, that are surely there, then generally, you know, trust goes up because people want to know what's real. They want. Yeah. Authenticity, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I talk about this a lot. And I, I kind of jump into it right away often with my with my teams and when I speak is that I, I'm really passionate about this trust stuff. Yeah. But I'm quick to share. I'm not perfect at any of it. I know it's true from the research. And I try to show, you know, here's the research of it because it's not, I, I can't show myself being perfect with it, right? Yeah. And I think because of that, people do jump into it and they see themselves as, oh, I'm imperfect too. I want more trust too. Well, and it sounds like we also have some really practical ways to practice it. We want more of it. We want to be in an environment where there is more of it. And it's this invisible thing that when it's not there, it's the elephant in the room. And yet we are personally empowered to, it sounds like, change the culture of our organization, change the relationships in our families. This is a this is a huge superpower that if we understand it, we can really use it to build stronger relationships and make a bigger impact in the world. I believe it trust genuinely is genuinely is the root cause of success or failure. I believe it is the root cause. A lack of it is the root cause of every problem. And I believe the only thing that creates a place where your employees can be their best, your family can be their best, 
is trust. By the way, this doesn't mean I believe you should trust everyone. This just means where you have it, where you create this trust edge environment, you get the benefit of that. That doesn't mean I should trust. There's good, but there are good reasons not to trust. I don't, I don't trust my flight to be on time. I've had experience, right? Or I, I, <laughs> I don't trust that boy with my daughter. I've been a boy, you know? So I don't, there, there are reasons not to, I don't trust people that say, just trust me because it's not stated, it's earned. I don't, I don't trust. There's good reasons not to trust. But when you create it, when I create it in my family or my team, then I get this great advantage we call the trust edge. And that's what we're trying to do, what, what we can do. What can I do in this relationship? Yeah. What can I do in this team? And especially if you're leaders, you have a high call of responsibility to create a high trust environment because that's where your people can be their best. Well, thank you for, I feel like every time I get to talk to you, which has now been a couple of times, I leave feeling sort of emblazed in with this like, just excitement around what's possible if we just trust each other. And it's a two-way street that I can start the conversation. I can crack open the door and I can make things happen. And so in the meantime, we get to have one more conversation with you in about a month. We actually, we're going to be joined by you because you've got a new book coming out. This Trust Edge came out how long ago? Trust Edge came out and, and miraculously, it's still, it's still selling and it's kind of this evergreen book that came out of my original research. It came out about a decade ago. Yeah, the new book we're really excited about shorter, quicker. Uh, the, the last half has some real quick tips and takeaways for leaders. It's called Trusted Leader. I love that. I love that. Because what I got from your book, which I do love, I read through it. And because it's not just like a book where you read it cover to cover, it's kind of a handbook. You've got a lot of resources and exercises that it's so evidence-based and research-rich. But it sounds like, and I've only started to, to peek into the new book, it's a simple version of all this research aggregated together with uh, ways that people can start to take action immediately. The fun of it, exactly. The, the, the fun of this new book is that the first half is a really cool, engaging parable that helps us shift our thinking about trust, this old word we thought we knew everything about and how it matters more than ever. And then the second half gives fresh takeaways over this last decade that we've used with leaders tips, takeaways, you know, actionable ways that I can use tomorrow morning that weren't in the original Trust Edge work that, you know, that help us apply this eight pillar framework right away so we can build trust as fast as possible. I love that. I love that because what we've learned when we unleash that first domino of trust in relationships and our business and our culture, so much more becomes possible. So David, thanks so much for joining me today and we'll see you again soon. I can't wait. Thank you. All right, you bet. Well, there you have it. Our conversation with David Horsager, best-selling author of The Trust Edge. You know, it's interesting. As David and I talked, I felt the reality and the conviction that every single day, my actions, they are either building trust or undermining it with people who matter to me. And in fact, I was reminded of a story from David's book where he shared that when he comes home from work each day, his four kids, they storm the front door to greet him. And his youngest son begs, Daddy, Daddy, throw me in the air. Throw me really, really, really high. So of course, David picks up his son, tosses him in the air, and he catches him. Not most of the time, not sometimes, but every single time. His son, he doesn't question whether his dad will catch him. In fact, the only possible result in his mind is that he'll land in his father's arms, feel loved, feel safe, and feel connected to his dad. This 
This is trust at its purest form. So what does it look like to build that kind of confidence with the relationships that matter? How do we make clear commitments that we can follow through on? And how can we say yes to what we can consistently deliver and no to what we can't so that the people we love and care about never question their trust in us? And rather than thinking big, making a lengthy list of every relationship you want to develop more trust with, start by thinking about one. What's one thing you can do that will develop trust with one important relationship today? Take a moment and really search for an answer so that you can follow through and take action on it. And if you'd like to learn more about David and his trust research, consider joining us for our next conversation with him that's going to be live about his upcoming book, Trusted Leader. Register to attend by visiting theonething.com slash monthly webinar. That's with the number one in the URL. And it's 100% free. And you'll have the chance to ask questions because the truth is that these live events we do, we customize those interviews to the people who join us. Between now and then, If this episode has brought value to you, who's someone you know or care about that would benefit from listening to it? Would you share it with them? And if you're that person, welcome. Welcome to the One Thing Podcast. Click the subscribe button so that all future episodes will be automatically downloaded to your device. And for all of you, please consider leaving us a rating or review on your podcast player of choice as it genuinely helps us reach more people so that we can live our purpose of helping others achieve their goals. Thanks so much for listening to the One Thing Podcast. We look forward to being with you in the next episode.